Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep Podcast, and I apologize, it's been a while since I put a podcast up. I've been struggling with a flu bug that has affected my sinuses and caused me to cough quite a bit, and if I had tried to record something, you guys wouldn't have been able to understand me because I sounded rather nasal and, uh, again, was coughing quite a bit. But thank the Lord, I'm feeling much better, and I'm happy to jump back into my podcasts. So this is part three of Martin Niemöller. And where we left off last time, uh, Martin had taken a definite stand against uh, Hitler's attack on the church. He had taken a stand against the Nazis. Um, In the last uh, podcast, we talked about Niemöller standing in Hitler's office in the Uh, is what we would refer to in the church, in the office of a prophet himself, speaking a prophetic word to Hitler that Hitler's plans against the church and Hitler's plans to destroy other nations would not happen. Hitler would end up destroying himself, which he did. He ended up, uh, according to records, committing suicide in a hidden bunker. And Germany was just decimated. It was just wiped out for many many years it suffered the repercussions of what Hitler and his team had done. So um, we're going to pick up with Niemöller's arrest. He was arrested on July 1st of 1937 and was tried in a special court eight months later. So he was imprisoned for eight months before he was tried. Uh, The charge against Niemöller was activities against the state and he was found guilty, given a fine, and given a seven-month prison term. However, in the court, they uh, pointed out that he had already served eight months, so he had actually served more than his prison term, and they told him that he was being released. So no doubt there was relief that swept over Niemöller and his wife. Uh, he exits the prison, a free man, No sooner does he step outside the gates than he is immediately, immediately re-arrested by the Gestapo. And this was a rather malicious, sadistic tactic that was used by the uh, Nazis. So his imprisonment was far, far, far from being over. Uh, He had, uh, Hitler... Hitler had decided that Martin would be his special prisoner. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I would not want to be considered Hitler's personal prisoner. But that's that's what happened. He was declared Hitler's personal prisoner and rearrested. Now, uh, I want to go back for a few minutes to uh, to Niemöller's initial arrest. <clears throat> he was taken to the and I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sorry, but the best I can make it out is Plazinzi Prison, where the Nazis would end up executing about 300 prisoners. And what Hitler wanted to do was put a scare in Martin. It would be such a triumph for him and for his regime if he could get Martin to recant his stand against Nazism, if he could get Martin to join him on his side. He had already tried offering Martin 
a position of power and notoriety in the Nazi party, and Martin had turned him down. So now Hitler was going to try to put a scare in Martin during this initial arrest to put a scare in Martin so that he would back down on his criticism of the Nazi regime. And then again, it would be a big triumph, a big boon for the Nazis to have Niemöller, who is not only a World War I hero and submarine captain, but now an outspoken minister, and he's supporting Nazism, it would, do, it would go far to gain them favor in the eyes of the German people. However, the Lord was with Niemöller. So I said the Nazis had com- were, would end up committing over 3,000 executions in that prison. Uh, the guillotine that was used, it's my understanding, the guillotine that was used still stands. And you can find images of it on the internet. Uh, it's a uh, looks like a classical guillotine with a basket beneath to catch uh, the person's head as it was separated from their body. Martin's cell was arranged so he would have a bird's eye view of all the executions by beheading. Can you imagine what it would be like to be placed in a cell where you could not help but hear and if you looked out your cell window, see these horrific executions taking place. Seeing people beheaded. I mean, I know we, we, there's these things that we see in movies and on TV, but this is the real thing. And I just cannot imagine what kind of an experience that was for uh, Niemöller. Now, I know he was, a war, uh, he was active in World War I. He was on a submarine. He wasn't involved in hand-to-hand combat. So this had to be a huge shock for him. And he knew, as he was sitting in that prison cell, that he had been charged with treason, high treason, and it was punishable by death. So he was sitting there, and no doubt the devil is telling him, that's going to be you. That's going to be you. What's going to happen to your wife? What's going to happen to your kids? What's going to happen to your parishioners? What's going to happen to your mom and dad? What's going to happen when you die? And also coming at him with uh, mankind's natural fear and trepidation when it comes to death. All of those things. What an opportunity for the devil to try to get him to recant his position. And Martin said, for a while, his determination wavered as he realized that same fate might be awaiting him, that his neck might be in that guillotine in a matter of weeks. But he said he only wavered for a moment. And this is the humility of Niemöller. He doesn't say it was because of his great faith. He doesn't say it was because he was a strong man of God. He he doesn't say it was because uh, he was a minister or anything like that. He said he prayed. When he was tempted to recant, when he was afraid of death, when he was afraid of what might happen to him, he took those thoughts, he took those worries, he took all of all of those fears, he took that temptation and he laid it out before the Lord and began to pray. And Martin said he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And as he prayed, the Lord gave him the strength he needed to not give in. Martin said that he credits the Lord with the strength and determination that helped him come through all of that.
So that is that is a powerful testimony, and that is a lesson for us. We may not be facing death in the same way that Martin is. We may not be facing those same things, but the devil comes at us and tries to get us to compromise. He comes at us and paints these horrible pictures of what could happen if we don't do what he's suggesting. But the important thing is to not be ashamed if we're afraid. And we are to not be ashamed if we're tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. The sin does not lie in the temptation, but it lies in giving in to the temptation. And so when these things come, when these thoughts come, we need to take them to Jesus and express them to the Lord. And you know, the Lord already knows what we're thinking. The Lord already knows what we're thinking what our temptations are. He already knows what our worries are. We're not going to surprise him. We're not going to make the Lord think less of us when we tell him what we're struggling with. But as we go to him with these problems and worries and temptations, then he can provide us the strength and the grace and the determination we need to stand. And so, uh, Martin was later, uh, transferred to Moabit prison and then from the Moabit prison he was sent to concentration camp so uh, first of all he was taken to the Sachsenhausen concentration camp but then then Niemöller was sent to the infamous Dachau concentration camp he would remain in uh, a concentration camp for seven years, from 1938 to 1945. Seven years. Himmler uh, had actually ordered that the prisoners of Dachau be massacred when the Allies reached the camp to liberate it, but the, uh, the camp commander refused to do this. He refused this order and left the prisoners alive, and that's when Martin was eventually rescued. Uh, Martin was one of the concentration camp prisoners that was freed by Allied soldiers. Now, I've done uh, research not just in the, the books that deal with uh, what happened to Martin in the concentration camp, but also uh, books about the... Uh, concentration camp itself and about what happened there and conditions were horrible um it just it was horrific you can go on the internet and see pictures that were taken both by the nazis and by the allied liberators that show uh men and women but in the uh in the case of martin it was the, he was in the men's camp. Their skin and bones, you, it, you can see almost every bone that is in their body because they are in such pitiful condition. They have been so starved and so neglected. Uh, their heads, uh, the hair is shorn very close, but they still struggled so much with issues with uh, lice and with fleas. It was just horrible. Um, abuse was heaped upon the prisoners at these camps, and Martin was no exception. Martin was not killed, obviously, even though Hitler threatened him with death. Martin was not killed. The Lord protected him 
from being killed, but he was still there, a part of what uh, of the abuse, a witness to the abuse. Uh, many of the guards in these camps were young men that can only be described as vicious. Um, we've all known people that it seemed like they just took great delight in being cruel and abusing people. And then if you can imagine them giving positions of power where they really didn't have to answer much to anybody and could just let loose with their most vicious animalistic tendencies, that is what went on in the concentration camps. Uh, Many of the guards, as I mentioned, were young men that um, would have probably been in prison themselves were they not guards in a concentration camp. There was forced labor. There was sickness. There was human experimentation that went on. There were inhuman roll calls in freezing weather with snow piled up and these men with just very thin clothes on. Uh, There was murder. There was starvation. There was fear. There was hopelessness. There were... And these weren't just things that happened every once in a while. This was a part of the daily life that these prisoners, including Martin, faced. And you might imagine the devil going to Martin and saying, Look, you stood up for your God, and this is where you end up. But Martin, again, he prayed. He sought the Lord, even though he was in that concentration camp. The guards could keep people out, but they couldn't keep Jesus out. And there are so many miraculous things that happened in those concentration camps. And um, one of the interesting things about Martin while he's in this concentration camp is he continued to do his pastoral work. He continued to counsel people. He continued to pray. He continued to pray for people. He He reached out to people, and he didn't care what their religion was. He was friends with the Catholics. He was friends with the Jews. He was friends with the homosexuals. He was friends with the other prisoners. He didn't care. He was there to represent Jesus Christ. As a pastor, they may have taken him out of his parish, and they may have put him in one of the most depraved places imaginable but that call of God was still on this man and he still did the work of a pastor he still did that work that the Lord called him to do he was there when people needed help he was there with whispered prayers he was there with whispered words of encouragement when the guards had their back turned He was said to have always had an encouraging word for everybody, a quotation from the Bible that helped many a man through his most desperate hours. Martin, um, he continued to do this even though there were ominous warnings from the guards, even though there were threats from the guards. He would continue to do this. He would risk beatings. He would risk being injured. He would risk everything to continue doing that work. They said one of the constant phrases that was said to prisoners was, I shall pray for you, my son. And the prisoners said they knew, they knew when Martin said that, that he meant it. They knew he was going to lift them up in prayer. And many said just talking with him for a few short minutes during roll call, that those few minutes would bring a fresh hope 
to their heart. It would lift their spirits as the Lord's anointing rested on this man. So even though it seemed like the devil was in charge of the concentration camp, even though it seemed like evil was rampant and the powers of darkness were in control, the anointing of God was still at work in that place and the call of God was still at work. And I don't know about you guys, but that excites me and that encourages me. I know that there is fear among many uh, people in our nation, in America, in the United States. There is fear that there will be um, laws enacted or things done to prevent ministers from doing their work. But Martin Niemöller was still able to do the work of a pastor while in a concentration camp as Hitler's special prisoner. And that should encourage us. That should encourage us. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell will not stand against the true church. And so rather than letting these things frighten us and discourage us, we should be encouraged and seeking God knowing that nothing on nothing of this world, nothing from the powers of darkness can stop the anointing and the call of God. So Martin ended up with a brand new ministry there in the concentration camp. And I think that's, I just, I think it's amazing. I think it's just amazing. You can take the preacher out of the pulpit, but you can't take the Lord and the call off out of the preacher, I guess, is what you might say. Well, um, there was one instance where a fellow prisoner saw Martin cry. And it wasn't for himself that he was crying. A Jewish man had collapsed from exhaustion the day before. And he was part of the quarrying crew. And these men were expected to hew these huge rocks uh, and then carry them. And these guys were sick. They were malnourished. They were freezing to death. And yet they were expected to do this intense labor. And this Jewish man, he fell from exhaustion. And he knew, he knew that if he collapsed from exhaustion one more time, the guards would shoot him. And so he hid himself so he wouldn't have to return to the quarry to do that work. And the guards found him. And what they did is they dragged him before the prisoners at early morning roll call. And they shot him right there. And Martin, this is more than Martin could handle. And he began to cry and he began to weep. And he said loudly enough for everybody to hear, including the guards, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Oh, man, I can only imagine the kind of conviction that must have brought on some of those guards. And I can only imagine the effect that had on the other prisoners. And here, in a place where there's so much cruelty, so much hatred, the man of God is here calling for the Lord to forgive their captors, for the Lord to forgive their abusers. What a lesson for us on forgiveness. One of the guards heard no heard Niemöller and he walked up to him and he gave him a dirty look after Niemöller had said this and he said into the barracks with you and gave him a shove and said get going and a few days later the same guard comes up to Martin and slaps him and taunts him and says where is your dirty God now why doesn't he help you get out of this concentration camp and a moment later 
He shouted the order to Nymoller, Salute Heil Hitler. Martin stood silent, and the guard reared back and slapped him and said, Salute Heil Hitler. And Martin remained silent, his arms at his side, and just then, another prisoner, a Jewish man, stepped out of line, and the guard rushed over there to beat him for stepping out of line. And all the prisoners there, including Martin, realized that Jewish man had done that deliberately in order to lure that guard away from Martin because they knew Martin would not salute Heil Hitler, and they were afraid that he might just beat Martin to death. And there was another interesting aspect of this. Now, uh, Martin had not always taken a very Christian stand when it came to the Jews. He admitted later on that he was guilty uh, of anti-Semitism. But as he was in the concentration camp and he began, he, he began to look over his life and he began to look over the stands that he had taken and the creeds that he had held and the things that he had believed in and he realized the sin of anti-Semitism and repented of it. And one of the things he was known to do was to give his bread ration to the other prisoners because, or let me rephrase that, he gave his bread ration to the Jewish prisoners specifically because they were never given as many rations as the non-Jewish prisoners were. And he also made it very clear after the Lord had convicted him that any, any persecution of the Jews was unchristian. So, let's talk for a minute about uh, some of Martin's principles. All Martin had to do in order to be released from the concentration camp, to be released from this place of evil and cruelty, was to simply no longer speak against the Nazi regime. He didn't even have to become a Nazi himself. He just had to agree to quit speaking against them and criticizing them. And in his last sermon, before his arrest, Martin said this, and I quote, We have no more thought of using our own powers to escape the arm of authorities than had the apostles of old. No more are we ready to keep silent at man's behest when God commands us to speak. For it is and must remain the case that we must obey God rather than man. Now that's easy enough to say, when you're not in prison. And that's easy enough to say when you're not in a concentration camp. But here was Martin, seven years in a concentration camp, seven years seeing the most horrible cruelty that man can perpetrate against man, seeing evil, seeing degradation, seeing people starving to death, seeing people beaten to death. And yet he still holds that we must obey God rather than man. And that was the Lord. That was the Lord that gave Martin the strength and the determination to hold to that, to not give in. And Martin later was given an opportunity to escape. His friends had worked out a way that they were confident that they could help him escape from the concentration camp and into a country where he would be safe. But given the opportunity to escape, Martin 
rejected it. Martin said, no, thank you. He didn't do it. And that, that had to be a hard decision to make. But the Lord was there. He sought the Lord's guidance. He found out what the Lord wanted him to do. And apparently the Lord indicated that he wanted Martin to remain. And so that's what Martin did. And that is a high form of obedience. To remain willingly in a place where the circumstances are difficult and nightmarish. But the Lord, the Lord kept him. But I cannot imagine the conditions in that place and how many, how many people were murdered in that place. But Martin, Martin stayed firm. He stayed firm. And for those seven long years, he held on to what the Lord had told him to do. He believed that he, would, that he should obey God rather than man. And that's what the Lord gave him the grace to do. So after seven long years, Martin was freed. Uh, Martin and some of the other high-profile prisoners that were being kept at Dachau uh, were taken from Dachau as the Allies were approaching. And the rumor was that they would be used as hostages when the Nazis surrendered. Uh, fortunately, the Lord did not allow these people to become bargaining chips during the Nazi surrender. And uh, there's pictures that show Martin uh, when he was rescued. In fact, some of these, uh, one of them in particular I found was from Getty Images, which means it was uh, like a newspaper, uh, a magazine picture. And it shows, one of them shows Martin reaching into his coat, getting his ID. He's thin, he's pale, his cheeks are sunken in, and he looks so weary, but he looks peaceful. There's another picture where he's standing next to an allied soldier in their uh, battle uniform with a helmet with the netting over it that we're familiar with seeing from the World War II movies. And he's standing there, he's wearing a, uh, a coat and a vest, a tie, and he's got his pipe. And he looks at peace. And he also looks extremely comfortable talking to the soldier as if he were talking to uh, another pastor. He was very comfortable around all kinds of people. Now, um, when Martin was freed, uh, he found out that one of his sons had died on the Russian front as part of the military. He had three sons that had been forced to serve in the German military. They were drafted. Um, and again, one of them had died on the Russian front, so he lost one of his sons. And uh, Martin said that while he was in prison, he had a lot of time to think. And to think about the choices he had made, the stands that he had taken, like I said, the creeds that he had held to. And he began to reevaluate, uh, reevaluate a lot of these things. One of the things that Martin concluded while he was in prison, that he had been terribly naive to have ever trusted Hitler. And you know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. So looking back, he recognized the naivety of having trusted a man like Hitler. Another big change that came in Niemöller's convictions while he was in prison involved his views about the Jews. He admitted, he confessed that he had held anti-Semitic views and that the Lord had dealt with him about that. And he said he was rejecting all of the anti-Semitic views that he held in the past. 
and he concluded that he personally had not done enough to help others. Even though he had made this tremendous sacrifice and he had stood toe-to-toe with Hitler and he had been in prison, he still felt like he hadn't done enough. And I think of all the things that Martin expressed that his thinking changed about, this is the one. This is the one that struck me the most, and I think maybe this is the one that may be the most important to Christians in the United States right now. And I, I want you to listen to this. Martin concluded that his resistance to Hitler only focused on how it affected the church and not on how it affected others. And he felt like he should have been more concerned for how it was affecting the people of Germany than it was on how it was affecting the church. And he felt like he had gotten off track with that. And that's food for thought for us. How much of what we do and what we, how can I express this the way I want, what we stand against and what we fight for, we say it's for the church, but we never stop and think about how this might be affecting individuals. And what effect these things might have on individuals. And I think the thing is that we can't forget to look not just at the big picture, but also at individuals. We can't forget individuals. We can't forget individual people. We've got to remember to look at things also from the viewpoint of individual people. When we're making judgments about things. When we're uh, using discernment. Oh, how we need discernment in this day and age. And we need the Lord to help us to discern correctly. And not get so focused on just one aspect that we forget about everything else. And again, that's something we have to look to the Lord to help us to do. I hope that made sense. But I want to uh, talk again about that quote that Niemöller is so famous for. And I want us to revisit this. And look at what all he went through. And look at the path that he took. And I quote, First they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak for me. And I think Martin's words are very timely. And I think they're very applicable to the time that we live in. And as Christians, we must read our Bibles and seek the Lord and find out, Lord, when would you have me to speak out? Speak out. Not when my church would have me to speak out. Not when my Christian friends would have me to speak out. Not when society would have me to speak out. But Lord, when would you have me to speak out? And I'm going to uh, quote some more here uh, uh, from Niemöller. He says, and I quote, I have never concealed the fact and said it before the court in 1938 that I came from an anti-Semitic past and tradition. I ask only that you look at my life historically and take it as history. Now, I think that's interesting. Again, he admits that he had held anti-Semitic views. And he wasn't denying that. A lot of the people, a lot of people tried to hold that against Martin, even after his imprisonment. 
when he would try to, when he would go around the world on speaking and lecture tours, they would hold that against him. But he said, listen, yes, that's kind of how I was raised. That's the past. That's the tradition that I was raised in. That's what I believe. But I no longer believe that way. And, you know, we don't have to let what we used to believe, what we used to think, how we were raised, we don't have to let that dominate our lives. We can do like Niemöller and step away from that and say, I don't want that to be a part of me anymore. When you look at that, you are looking at my history. You are looking at my past. But you are looking at what Jesus forgave me for. You are looking at what has been washed and cleansed by the blood. And when we make mistakes and when we use bad judgment when we commit sin Jesus said if we'll confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and those things are in the past and they don't they aren't who we are anymore and we can rest in that and we can be assured of that and when people bring up our past that's an excellent opportunity to remind them of what Jesus Christ has done for us and then I quote again I believe that from 1933, I truly represented the Lutheran Christian outlook on the Jewish question, as I revealed before the court, but that I returned home after eight years imprisonment, a completely different person. So the Lord helped him change his views. The Lord helped change his heart. And if we are struggling with racism, if we are struggling with bigotry, if we are struggling with hostility against another ethnic group, against another religion, you know, we can be just as guilty of hatred towards the Muslims. We can be just as guilty of hatred towards those from the uh, Middle East. But you know what? Jesus can help us with that. If we have that in our hearts, we can go to Jesus and confess it. And he can help us be freed from that. Because the Lord helped Martin Neimuller to be completely freed from all the anti-Semitism that had become a part of his life and that he apparently had been taught. The Lord freed him from that and he can do that for us too. Now let's talk a little bit more about um, what Martin did once he was free of the concentration camp and the war was over. Martin used his freedom and his status and his notoriety for as much good as he possibly could. He was denied official Nazi victim status because of his earlier cooperation with the Nazi party. However, Martin was instrumental in writing what is known as the Stuttgart Declaration of Guilt. Now get this, this is interesting. I didn't really know about this until I had started to study the life of Niemöller. This document, the Stuttgart Declaration of Guilt, acknowledged the guilt of the German churches in not doing enough to resist the Nazis. It was signed by many of the leading figures in the Protestant church in Germany. Now, many of those who signed it felt it should be kept internal to the German church, but Martin disagreed, and he felt they should acknowledge their guilt publicly. Now, some Germans felt it was traitorous to admit their guilt, and others thought it was only making things worse for Germany. 
Uh, but Martin and other ministers believed that the church, the German church, had a responsibility to say we were wrong in supporting Hitler and we were wrong in turning a blind eye to what the Nazis were doing. I remember reading about one German Christian church that there was a railroad that ran near that church. And sometimes during their services, there would be a rail car, rail cars that would come by that they knew contained German prisoners destined for the concentration camps, many of them destined for the gas chamber. And you know what that church would do? When that train would come by, they would turn their music up louder. They would sing louder to try to drown out the sound of their guilt. And I think it was very good of these German ministers and these German Christians to acknowledge their guilt. And I hope and pray that in the United States of America, we don't ever have a situation like that. Where we have to acknowledge our guilt in the role that we played in harming others. But moving on. Some of the former Nazis absolutely felt no guilt at all for what they had done, while others did. Regardless of how people felt or how the Stuttgart Declaration of Guilt was received, many pastors felt that it was necessary. And in one of his sermons, Martin made this declaration, and I quote, we must openly declare that we are not innocent of the Nazi murders, of the murder of the German communists, Poles, Jews, and the people in German-occupied countries. No doubt others made mistakes too, but the wave of crime started here in Germany, and here it reached its highest peak. Now, I bet that did not make him a popular minister in Germany. In another sermon, he said, through us, infinite wrong was brought over many people and countries. That which we often testify to in our communities, we express now in the name of the whole church. We did not fight for long years the name of Jesus Christ against the mentality that found its awful expression in the National Socialist regime of violence. But we accuse ourselves for not standing to our beliefs more courageously, for not praying more faithfully, for not believing more joyously, and for not loving more ardently. End quote. I want to read that last paragraph again. And guys, again, think about this in terms of what is happening in our own country. And may we both pray for the Lord to help us to see how this could apply to us. And what we need to do. But let me read this. We accuse ourselves for not standing to our beliefs more courageously. For not praying more faithfully. For not believing more joyously. And for not loving more ardently. Now, Martin had quite a... Uh, quite a post-war ministry. There's many pictures of him uh, post-war in his clerical collar with a, a smile on his face. And He was president of the Protestant church in Hesse and Nassau from 1947 to 1961. 
uh, Martin actively campaigned for nuclear disarmament. And he was against the Vietnam War, and he was against German rearmament. In 1961, Martin became the president of the World Council of Churches. And after he retired from active church work, Martin kept up his schedule of writing and public speaking. And um, now there's a lot of pictures. Again, if you do a search for Martin Niemöller, he was such a well-known, worldwide-known minister. There are a lot of um, pictures uh, from Getty Images that show him, and they show his wife. Now, you remember he fell in love with his wife while he was on desk duty during World War I, and they married once he was, uh, once he was out, of, out of the uh, German Imperial Navy, and she stood with him through everything. Everything he went through, she stood with him. She supported him. She loved him. When he was in the concentration camp, she did everything she could to make sure that he got anything he needed. She worked endlessly and tirelessly trying to help him. And uh, she died in 1961. She died before he did. She and Martin were in Denmark where they were involved in a serious car accident. And she perished and he was seriously injured. And he did not get remarried until 10 years later. And then Martin passed away peacefully at the age of 92. And here Hitler said he was going to see him killed. I think not. He lived to be 92. And he passed away on March 6, 1984. He died in his home in West Germany after a long illness. And one of, all, one of his old colleagues had this to say about him. He was a man on fire. And a man of very great faith. And he said that faith was greater than organizations. Now let's take a few minutes and talk about some of the lessons that we can learn from Martin's life. And one of the disturbing things that we can learn from observing uh, the Nazis in World War II and what happened with the German people is that even the most civilized people can quickly be reduced to animalistic beasts when God is removed from the equation. When Hitler endeavored to set up his own religion, when he endeavored to set up his own church, forced God out, uh, evil ran rampant through Germany. People became involved in things that they would never have dreamed possible. Another lesson to be learned from Martin's life is that as Christians, we must speak out against abuses. We must speak out against abuses. Remember when they were going to, in the Bible, when they were going to stone the woman caught in adultery, and Jesus stepped in. And by the time Jesus was done, all her accusers had disappeared. And she escaped with her life. And I think it's important for us to remember this. That as Christians, as representatives of Jesus Christ, as representatives of our Creator who loved the world so much, the Bible tells us that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. 
that we too need to express that love and that concern for our fellow men. Remember the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan when they said, who is my neighbor? That story is an example of caring for people that we don't even know and of trying to help people and of not turning a blind eye when we see people being abused, when we see people being taken advantage of, when we see people that are not being treated right. We have a responsibility to try to help and try to speak up. And again, this is something that we need to seek the Lord to find out what He would have us to do, what actions He would have us to take. Ask Him to help us to be sensitive to the needs of those around us so that we can express, not just in word, but in deed, our love for our fellow man. The Bible promises us that His grace is sufficient for us. And we see that again in the life of Martin Niemöller. All he had to do was agree to quit speaking out against the Nazis, and he would have been free. But he stood his ground and said that he would rather obey God than man. In seven years, he was able to stand his ground, and the Lord gave him the grace to do so. And that same grace is available to us today for anything in our life that we might be facing. That grace isn't just for quote-unquote Christian heroes, but it's for every single one of us. No matter how insignificant we may think we are, that grace is there for us. The second, another thing, not the second, this is more like the fourth thing that we can see in Martin Niemöller's life is that nothing external can separate us from God's love and care. We may be surrounded by darkness. We may be surrounded by evil. We may be surrounded by physical bars. We may be surrounded by guards. It may be that no living thing could come into us, but nothing, nothing, nothing can keep Jesus out. Nothing can keep him out. Nothing can separate us from God unless we allow it. And finally, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to Christians. Bad things can happen to the most faithful of Christians. And sometimes the Lord calls us to walk through the fire, to walk through the shadows, to walk through things that are horrifying things that hurt, things that are painful, things that are scary. But if he calls us to walk through it, then we have that assurance that he will be with us and that his presence will be with us. And the last thing that I want to point out is about the call of God. They took Nymoler out of the pulpit and they threw him in a prison. They threw him in a concentration camp, and yet the call of God was still on his heart. And he still had that drive in him and that anointing upon him to reach out and provide words of encouragement, words of comfort and prayers to those around him. And I think that's a miracle. That is a miracle. The devil was all around that place, you know. The concentration camps had to be filled with powers of darkness that were influencing men to do unspeakable things to one another. And in spite of all that darkness, it couldn't put out the light of God. It couldn't put out that fire of God that was on Niemöller's heart. And so that's my that's it for Martin Niemöller. That is 
part three of three. And I hope that something in here touched you or spoke to you. And I hope that you will join me in prayer for the Lord to give us wisdom in when we need to take a stand, how we need to take a stand, and how we need to back up our profession of love for our fellow man with actions that truly show that. And that's something that we each answer to God for unless we each need to seek the Lord for him to show us what he would have us to do. And I thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening.